Welcome to Stress-Free IEP. You do not need to do it all alone. With your host, Francis Schefter, Principal of Schefter Law. You can get more details and catch prior episodes at www.schefterlaw.com. The Stress-Free IEP video podcast is also posted on YouTube and LinkedIn, and you can listen to episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Stress-Free IEP, Francis Schefter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. I am so excited about our next guest, and I know I say that often, but this one is even <laughs> more because I knew Dr. Stixrude of him before I even knew him just by his reports that I've come across over the last years. So I was excited when he agreed to be a guest on my show. Um, Dr. Stixrude, Dr. Stixrude is also a well-known author, um, a lot of great books, The Self-Driven, the Self-Driven Child and What Do You Say?, um, so, Dr. Stixrud, please introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a clinical neuropsychologist, and I've been testing kids who have um, who are struggling in any way, whether they have learning disabilities or ADHD or anxiety or autism. And I'm just trying to figure out what's wrong, what's right, and how to help them. And I've been doing it for 40 years and never get tired of it. I still love, I still love doing it. And um, and my friend Ned Johnson and I wrote the book, uh, What Do You Say, or The Self-Driven Child, in 2018, about why it's so important for young people to have a sense of control of their own lives. And we wrote a second book, What Do You Say, talking with kids to build motivation, stress tolerance, and a happy home, to give, give, give parents a lot of the language, ways to communicate with kids in a lot of specific language that we found to be effective in communicating with kids um, in, in our work over the last many years. So giving your children self-control, of course, as a parent, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> like how much, how much are we talking about here? Like what, what does that mean? And so um, we got to a sense of control in part because um, the last, really the last 15 years or so, people have been talking about a mental health crisis in young people. And it turns out that, that all the mental health problems, whether it's anxiety disorder or depression or something, they're all stress-related problems. They, all, they have to do with a dysregulated stress response, an overly sensitive and overly reactive stress response, that fight-or-flight response. And we, we, I learned in 2008, Francis, that, that there's a neuro, I, I, I had a lecture and a, and a neuroscientist said, who studies stress, said, I defy you to think of anything that makes life stressful. It doesn't involve the acronym NUTS. The idea of stress makes you nuts. And it's novelty, new situations, unpredictability, perceived threat, whether it's psychological or physical threat, and a low sense of control. And all the stress scientists say is that low sense of control the most it's the most stressful thing you can experience. And so we figured if these problems are, we have an epidemic, and just recently, the Attorney General, uh, I mean, so the Surgeon General, said that the status of mental health in adolescence is the defining public health crisis of our lifetime. And it turns out that it's even worse in 18 to 25 year olds. So we're figuring if, if, if these are all stress-related problems and a low sense of control is, is, um, is really at the root of mental health problems, because if you're anxious, your thinking's out of control. Be, you, you'd like to stop worrying, but you can't. If you're depressed, you have no sense of control. So we thought it's a it's hugely related to mental health. 
And also, every place that we looked to try to understand how do kids become self-motivated, all the arrows point in the direction of autonomy. They have to have a sense that this is my life. So that's the basic, that, that's how we got to a sense of control, um, it was through this mental health connection and also the motivation connection. And um, I used to lecture about like 15 or 20 topics, and now I almost always lecture about this topic because I don't know anything other than letting kids know that they're deeply loved. I don't know there's anything more important. It's you know I love that you say that because my nine my nine year old everybody that's heard me talk about her is very strong willed my six year old also but not quite as strong willed as my nine year old and mm-hmm. she says all the time it's my life <laughs> you're nine <laughs> you know? well you know I think when the question one of the questions we deal with in fact when we sent the self driven child into our agent um, to see if he wanted the book he wanted to represent the book. The title was "It's My Life," and the question: What does it become your kid's life? You know, and and my sense is is pretty early on. You know, you get, you got you can't make, from the time that they're infant, you can't make them do anything. You can't make a child do anything, right. and you can't you can't make a failure to thrive infant eat. You can feed them, you can't make them eat. And a three year old who's refusing something, you can pick him up, and, and and you can do it for you can make him do it that way. You can't get him. To, you can't make him do it. Right, and so you make peace with that. You think, well, okay, that they, they really, and you anyway, you have two kids, and they're very different. They're, um, and we realize they really, they really have a different kind of life path. And I think respecting that from the time that they're they're little is is really valuable and doable. I I was, I was talking about the self driven child a couple before the pandemic, and this guy came up to me and said, "I did my doctoral dissertation on promoting autonomy in two year olds." Wow. You want to do it this way or this way? You know what? What, what would? How, how, how should we do this? What? What? What do you want to wear to school? There's things where we just we treat kids respectfully. We treat them. Like, I know that you have a mind of your own. You may not see the way things. I. You may not like what I like. And I. We think that having that sense of control, uh, it, it just makes kids much more motivated. And again, it just makes them much less stressed. Which it's so. I mean, it's just all collect connecting because. Obviously, when I give her choices, I'm like, okay, so you can either brush your teeth or you can skip brushing your teeth. And then that means we need to throw away all the sweets and candy that might rot your teeth. Which do you want to do? What is a kid going to do? <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. It's that it's that she has a choice, totally. But which choice do you know? It's kind of, yeah. right? Like, yeah, with, with little kids, you know, with the, with the younger kids, you, you, you want to do it this way or that way, you know? And I think that... Um, and it, it's not the, the it's not the five year old gets to be the boss of the family. You know that kid, kids need structure, they need limits, um, to, to feel safe and secure. But treating them respectfully, and I use that word a second time, but like they have a brain in their head, they want their lives to work, and they, they don't always see things the way we do. And also, we don't always know what's in their best interest, because so often what, what something that seems like a disaster leads to something better. This is something that we didn't anticipate, and so I, I think that um, that it's. I mean, it, it turns out that some some recent research is uh, suggesting that the reason that cognitive behavioral therapy helps kids who have anxiety or depression is because it increases their sense of control. That seems to be the active ingredient. When you think about, if you know CBT, kids kids learn how to talk back to negative, think actively talk back to negative thinking. They learn relaxation to, to regulate their physiology. 
and they learn to go against their fears um, through exposure therapy. And these all things that increase their sense of control. And one of the sense that one of the scientists who, who Steve Mayer at, Colorado, at the University of Colorado, who we pay a lot of attention to, who studies sense of control for 40 years, says that, that having that sense of control, I can I can hand, I can have some control over stressful situations, I can manage stressful situations, inoculates kids from the harmful effects of stress. And so it's it's, it's a in my opinion it's a big deal. And we've been talking about this for six years, and people all over the world are um, reading the self-driven child and, and seeing the value of supporting autonomy, that, that internal sense of control. It's it's so, like, I just, everything's connecting with things. Um, there's a physical therapist that was actually on my show a long time ago um, that does the Alexander technique. And in that, it's teaching the ready list, which is the biggest thing, which is the stop, look, breathe tall and soft like a giraffe so that you're centering yourself right yeah 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 and right, right right and and just i mean getting a good night's sleep increases your sense of control meditation increases your sense of control in part because we th- ned and i think about a sense of control in two dimensions one is the subjective sense of autonomy and the subjective confidence that i can handle stressful situations i'm not going to freak out I'm, you know, I'm, and, and secondly it's the brain state that supports that which is when the prefrontal cortex the most recently evolved part of the brain that can think clearly and, and go, go into the past and future put things in perspective calm yourself down when you're stressed regulates the rest of the brain including the amygdala that very par- primitive part of the brain that just senses and reacts to threat and when it perceives threat starts your stress response and when, when you're in your right mind or your kid's in his right mind, and, and they're, they're focused, you're engaged, we, we aren't overly stressed, we aren't exhausted, we're, we're purposeful in what we're doing, the prefrontal cortex is regulating the rest of the brain. And that's where we want kids to be most of the time. So thinking about it this way, we have two ways to support that, that kids' development of that healthy sense of control. One is through promoting autonomy, and one is through helping them nurture that brain state by making sure they get enough rest, by letting them have exercise, um, have effective stress management so they aren't chronically stressed and anxious. So in any case, I, it's, it's, um, it's a big deal. Yeah, my daughter, so my daughter, she she goes to that physical therapist and uh, the physical therapist has one of those toys that that start like this and then you can pull it and the ball expands. Yeah, yeah. And my and my daughter goes, well, it's like your brain when you're, when you're not thinking clearly and you're freaking out. It's like this, when you do the ready list, your brain expands and opens up and is ready for stuff. Well, it's like I, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, and, and what <laughs> the way we think about a sense of control in part is what it's not. And what it's not is feeling helpless or feeling hopeless or feeling overwhelmed or feeling resigned or just stuck or feeling anxious and exhausted. I mean, the, all those things involve a very low sense of control. Um, so. So we, we I've, I spent the last six years or more actually thinking about and talking with people about how do we do this? How do we help kids develop that sense of control? That's good for everything. People, you, you got you got uh, you got parents in assisted living. They live longer if they simply they say, do you want, do you want to have your, do you want to have breakfast at ten thirty or eleven, <laughs> or or, or it's, do you want to have lunch at ten thirty or eleven? Right. Um, you know, or, or do, what time do you want your visitor to come? You give them choices. They live longer because the brain works better. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so like, I mean, everybody knows like as parents, we're here to teach our children and so forth. And, but how does this like, 
I mean, I guess, obviously, giving your child more control and giving them choices is help. But how, like, what is the parent role in this? So what, what, I, what I've been recommending most of my career to parents is that, especially as the kids start to, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and older, you think about themselves more as consultants to their kids than as the kid's boss or manager or the home or police. Um, and the idea is, is that this parent is consultant kind of idea. I'll tell you that I, um, I gave a lecture in Houston before the pandemic, and I happened to mention the name of arguably the most elite um, independent school in this, this area, the D.C. area. And I don't know why, but I mentioned it. And this woman came up to me after the lecture and said, we know the school in D.C. really well. She said, I'm a psychotherapist here at the Menninger Clinic um, in, um, in Houston, which is a really good mental health facility in Houston. And she said, we know this school in D.C. really well because so many of the graduates get into the top country, colleges in the country. But as soon as they get a B, as soon as they realize that everybody here is as smart as I am, or as soon as they get ghosted or a girlfriend dumps them, they can't handle it emotionally. So they, they take a medical leave of absence and they come here for treatment. And she said, tool one. They don't have that sense of control. They don't have. They don't have experience running their own life. And from from my point of view, our goal as parents is to help our kids learn to run their own lives, so they can run their own lives successfully before they leave home. Um, and so, from that in mind, the parent is consultant idea has, has three implications. One is we offer our help, we offer our advice, but we don't try to force it on kids. Number two is we really support kids in making their own decisions. In part, because the way you become a good decision maker is you practice making decisions and see how they go and learning from your experience. And third is we want kids to solve their own problems, because if a kid has a problem um, and, and if we don't rush in to solve it for them and they, rest, they have to wrestle with it, what happens is that they're trying to solve it, whether it's a, some kind of conflict with another kid or whatever, their prefrontal cortex activates. And when the prefrontal cortex activates, it dampens down the stress response. Because you think about in, in your work, Francis, you, you, you have some complicated cases, but when you're coping with it, it's actually kind of fun. I mean, it, 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 you're, you're using your skills. It's when you don't know what to do. It's, it's when you feel kind of helpless or, or that's what's really stressful. And so what we want is for kids to have that experience of something stressful happen and they solve it because that, that, that sculpts the brain in, in a way that whenever something stressful happens, they go into coping mode as opposed to, to avoiding or freaking out or being overwhelmed. And so these three things, we want to offer help and advice. We, we want to encourage kids to make their own decisions. And we want, as much as possible, we want to let, let them solve their own problems with our help as needed. That makes so much sense. It's just like, I'm thinking about it. Like when my daughter comes home and, you know, like that she did whatever, something happened, somebody did something to her instead of saying, well, did you do this? Like, well, what did you do? And yeah, you know, you know, I, I, I did this, I did this um, exercise with, with a bunch of parents um, and, and, a, and a, a parent educator many years ago, and we made up these scenarios of you know, kids coming home and, and, and a third grade girls, the only kid in her her friend group who didn't get invited to a birthday party, or you know, tenth grade boy comes home and he just flunked a test or got didn't make the basketball team, and the first thing we ask parents to do is is ask themselves whose problem is it. You know, and it's not like your problem, buddy. It's not like that, but, but it's respectful that, that because, because we're wired. We, we have what's called a writing reflex, which means that a kid brings us a problem. We're wired to say, well, you need to do this or you know, let, let's, let's solve it this way. And ideally, you remember, it's their problem. 
But we can certainly ask, is there a way that I could help? Uh, but I think, think what you said, you know, what, what, what do you think would help? You know, what, what do you know how to do that could help you? I mean, that, that supporting that, um, that, that kind of independent problem solving is really beneficial. But, you know, it, it's also like I'm thinking of being, you know, the CEO of my law firm and stuff. When employees come to me with a problem, I get frustrated. I want them to come with me to me with a solution or two options, you know, like think it through. And so I'm just thinking if we teach our children at this young age, how much as an employer, an employee, what difference it'll make. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's really true. And, and I, I see a lot of kids who, um, where the parents have just kind of done this. You know, they, they, have, you know, they, they really try to support that sense of autonomy, that independent problem solving. And again, it's not, it's not, we want to be empathetic with kids when, when they're struggling. There's times where we need to help, they need our help. We certainly need our advice and our wisdom at times, but we don't want to lay it on them. We don't want to tell them a million times uh, that it's not very effective. And again, if we solve, if we rush in to solve their own problems, they don't have that opportunity to, to, to learn that how, how to re, how to respond and stress and stress will have stress will happens activate the prefrontal cortex figure it out yourself and and that then you can go into any almost any kind of situation and it's not very stressful because you say well I've, I've been here before yeah <laughs> I, I can handle stuff that's what we want kids to have is that confidence that they can yeah. handle a hard situation because they have that makes sense that's the way you do, that's the way you develop it yeah but how does that work with so my child, it makes me crazy. My husband and I are the type of, if you're on time, you're late. You know, 15 <laughs> minutes early is on time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, my daughter has the, honey, five minutes till we have to leave. Oh, okay. Like no motivation to be on time, to be where you need to be or to get things done. Like how yeah. do you get your kids the motivation? Like how do you make them do it basically? Well, you know, I, I, I think that it's complicated. There are some times where, you, you know, you got, you got to get out of the house and you just got to grab them, you know, put them in the car. But, but, uh, but I think that, that um, in both our books, we talk about the collaborative problem solving process, which, which um, in, 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 in the old days was called family, family meetings. And, and uh, Ross Green uh, popularized the term collaborative problem solving. And what it is, is that you, um, you, you, when you're in a good mood and your kids in a good mood, say, let's talk about getting out of the house and, and, and so we aren't late. And you say, I know, and you, you always start with empathy. You always say, I know that for you, you get so involved in stuff that, that, that it's hard for you to remember, though I need, I need to get ready. And for me, I, I, I get anxious because it makes me, I don't, I don't want to be late. I don't want you to be late. How can we work this out what, in, in a way that, that, that kind of works for both of us? And I think so. You work towards approximations of, of um, what, what would help. What would help? Um, and so you set timer. Let's let's try a timer and see if that helps. Um, you can certainly work out contingency with the kid where this is so stressful for me that I, I don't think it's right. But I don't think it's right. And um, so let, let, let you make an agreement and say, well, what, what should we do? You know, if, if you don't, if if you say, okay, I'll be ready, and then you aren't ready. What, what, what there should be some kind of consequence for, for that? Um, in the same way you, you said that you know, if you don't brush your teeth, no sweets the next day. I mean, that you kind of work that out ahead of time with a kid. And most kids are pretty reasonable about working out a, the, the consequences 
they are so happy when, <laughs> when they're applied. I now know what my dinner table topic is this evening. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I just think that 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 having this kind of conversation with kids in a way that, this, again, this always starts with empathy and try to understand their point of view. So it's not judgmental, but it's just right. saying that for it, it creates a problem for me. And I think that most kids are willing to kind of think through how to do this, what would help, what would work for you. Um, and if it, uh, how many times should I, I, I my kid, um, I, it was in high school, actually, he'd come home and I never knew what my kid's homework was. I, I never, I, I really knew what their grades were. Um, uh, they've got both, they both got PhDs I mean, it, 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 without any academic pressure <laughs> at all, because um, it fostered this sense of control. And um, I remember my son has ADHD and, and, and he'd come home and if he'd mentioned he has a test and I'd see him, you know, <laughs> dawdling on it, I'd say, you want me to remind you, kind of bug you a little bit? And he'd say, yeah, you probably should. How many times do you want me to remind you tonight? Or, uh, I don't know, three. I, I'd, so I'd get by him to kind of bug him a little bit and, and to remind him of this test. Um, and it never provoked an argument because I just offer. I'd, I'd offer it. And, and so, so I think that, that having this kind of collaborative problem solving, kids are usually pretty good at coming up with ideas, oftentimes things we didn't think about. And then you move in that direction. It's oftentimes not perfect at first, but you keep talking about it. You keep working it out. Um, so, it, yeah. You know, it's just I'm thinking about the buses. And what I usually say is if we miss the bus, no electronics for the whole weekend. The problem is she gets there just as the bus is pulling up or she rounds the bend just as the bus is pulling up. So she doesn't miss it, but it's like that. That okay. Split yeah. It, well, then, and and then 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 it's your problem. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, I, I think it was there's a what was it called the, the something trap I, I can't remember. What it's called. Um, there's I think a Tom Hanks movie. Uh, Shelley Long is is an orchestra, and and she, and she 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 comes and she's just like two minutes start, practice starts at twelve. She comes two minutes before twelve, and, and this European director says, "You, you were almost late." And she said, in America, we call that on time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I just, um, I have friends and colleagues who do things at the last minute. And, and I'm, I'm less comfortable with that, but they, they get them done. And if, if, if that makes me anxious, that's kind of, that's kind of on me, uh, unless they're, they're really, unless they really are late. So um, I, I might ask her, I mean, I might suggest you ask her, does it mean, do you get anxious, worrying that you're going to be late? And you think, would it be would it make any sense for you to try to get there three minutes early instead of one minute early so that you don't have to worry? To kind of, we kind of share your wisdom about it. And, um, and then okay. it just makes sense because I've turned it into my problem because now, you know, as we all know, electronics have their place and everything. But when you take away electronics, you're punishing yourself as well, as we all know. Well, and it just makes it worse where it is like, I love the idea of giving her that opportunity. Like I'm stressed in the mornings when you're late and I don't want to have to yell at you and remind you, what can we do to change that? Yeah. 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 And, 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 and yeah. She, she may, she may want, she may want you to remind her, you know, and, but I think that it's di it feels different if you've offered, if, if, if that's part of the plan, if you, if you, you remind her you know, 15 minutes to 10 minutes or her to set a timer um, and, just to kind of work out a plan and then see how it goes. And if it's not perfect, you, you meet again and say, what, what do we need to do here? Um, and I think that, um, but 
you, know, you, you, only, you don't want to, in my experience, you know, it, arguing about the same thing over and over again is always toxic um, yeah. for, for a relationship. And so um, with kids that have ADHD or they're, they're otherwise, they just aren't really oriented to time very well. It, it, it's stressful for somebody who is these busy lives we live. It's hard to, it's hard for us. Uh, but as long as she's getting there on time, I, I just like to reduce the wear and tear uh, on both of you by, by kind of clarifying how should we do this? What's the best way? Getting her buy-in. And if you're late, you know, the, the, despite the problem, what, what should be, should there be a consequence? And kind of working out the consequences ahead of time. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, so like that, how far is school from your house? Oh, the school bus is, is at the end of the cul-de-sac. Okay. Now, how far is the school? Oh, the school's a mile. Okay. Did she get, but it's did, not safe to have her walk because there's no okay. sidewalks. I see. Okay. <laughs> oh, I thought that. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fair enough. Okay. Um, although we could drive to her uncle's house who lives three blocks from the school. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's always going to be stuff. I mean, most families, there's there's always this, this stuff like this that we it's stuff you got to work out. And I think that that rather than uh, the, the, one one of the great uh, one of the great classic books for for parents is Positive Discipline by Jane Nelson, and she talks about the, the consequences that the four um, four R's of consequences that should be uh, should be relatable, meaning. There's, it has some kind of relationship to the, the infraction. They right. should be uh, agreed on. Um, I can't remember the R's exactly. They should be agreed on ahead of time, um, right. like that. There's a couple of them, but um, yes. Yeah, so, I, I, and I think when when kids know um, that that if I don't do this, this will be some consequence that I've agreed on. That the more likely to right. I because I, I'm going through my head. Because I've heard that before, and I know it was relatable. Realistic was the other one. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. You know, um, right. something else, and I, it was something like Re- revealed was one. That's ahead of a time. Oh, yeah. It's a, okay, yeah, so there you go. Revealed. Yeah. There we go. We, yeah, we yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, it makes sense because it just it connects. I mean, we get in these power struggles with our kids, and I know we all do it, and we're not going to win ever. Oh because, man, <laughs> you know, like we're not. We you know. Well, you know, in our second book, and what do you say, we have a chapter called The, the Language of a Parent Consultant. And, and two of the aspects of, of, of language that we talk about, are number one, is the language of getting buy-in. So that, you know, it's not, um, my, my co-author, Ned, has this cartoon where the, the, the dad is holding his, his two sons by the nape of the neck and saying, by the back of their shirts and saying, listen up, boys, and listen up good, because I'm only going to tell you this a million times. You know, right. you know, exactly. And, and, and pa- parents say to me all the time, you know, I've told them a million times, or I keep trying to get into see. And we'll save your breath. Well, so we always suggest to say, I've got an idea about that. Can I run it by you? you know, that I'm wondering what would happen if you tried it this way. But what I say to kids a lot is, you know, for whatever it's worth, and then I'll run something by them. But I want it to feel tender. I don't want to feel like I'm laying something on them that they're, they're just going to reject. So it's getting buy-in. Uh, and the second is what we call the language of no force, which is obviously I couldn't make you do this. I mean, all, you, all you have to do is flop on the floor. I, mean, I, I couldn't make you do it. And yet, if, if, if you fight me on it, if it's really unpleasant, then I may not feel like the way relationships work, I may not feel like, like doing something extra for you um, tomorrow or the next day or something. Um, 
And I think that letting kids, I'm, I feel it's Francis, I'm often asked to talk kids into things because I'm a psych, maybe they'll listen to you, you're a psychologist. And I don't believe in talking kids to anything, into things, but I believe I, I, I talk with them about it. And very frequently, um, I, I, I tell parents, tell the first thing to say to them, obviously I couldn't make you do it. And then you, you say, um, but you, maybe it makes sense for you to try it this way and just see what, what happens. And um, there's a, one of my, um, there's a mother who came to me and said, uh, an observant Jewish family, where her 13 year old son was refusing to do the bar mitzvah. He didn't believe in God and he thought he didn't want to be a hypocrite. And what I, I advise the mom to say is obviously, we couldn't make you do this. You know, we couldn't make you learn your Torah portion. We, we couldn't we couldn't drag on the bima and then move your lips. We, obviously, we so no, you don't have to do it. We couldn't make you do it. At the same time, it's really important to us that you do it. It's important to your your your, your grandparents and your aunts, uncles, and your cousins and your friends who want to welcome you to the Jewish community. And I, I really respect your integrity, but not wanting to be a hypocrite about this. But you don't have to believe it to, to, to do this and, and be part of the community. And two days later, after refusing for nine months, he said, OK, I'll do it. And then he negotiated. You know, he said, well, I don't want to do it in front of the whole synagogue. I'll do it on a Monday or something. And, 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 but, but he did it. And I just find like it's almost it's, it's like a superpower of taking force off the table because kids want their life to work. They don't want to fight with this constantly. And, we, we, and it takes two to fight. And if we stop yep. fighting. Then, we, then we're much better able to influence them. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like all the stress coming off my shoulders. I can't wait to start implementing. All this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it works. It works. Right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. The, yeah. The few times I've done it, I know it. I know it works. And when you and when you think it through, it really makes sense of why why it would work and why yeah. what we're doing. You know, it's what our parents did. How did it make us feel when our parents did it to us? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Is that how we want our kids to feel? <laughs> you know, and and saying to kids, when I uh, the, when I first wrote about um, this this idea of parent as consultant, it was 1986. I had an article in McCall's magazine about how not to fight with with kids about your homework. When I suggested you say to kids, "I love you too much to fight with you about your homework," and uh, I'm willing to help you in any way I can. I'm willing to be your homework consultant to help you figure out how to get it done or like that. But you're the most precious thing in the universe to me. I'm not willing to, to, to have all the stress between us over something like your homework. And, and I think really, I love you too much to fight with you about almost anything. Because there's more effective ways of influencing kids than fighting with them. Yeah. And I mean, that's true with all relationships, if you think about it. It is. It is, isn't it? <laughs> right? Like, I know. Fighting with my husband, fighting with my siblings fighting with friends you know like everything none of us feel good when we're fighting i know i know and especially if we fight, if it's the same fight over and over and over again yeah you know it it, it, it you know i think there's most marriages you have disagreements about stuff and you may temp tempers may flare br briefly but but it, it's toxic when it's the same thing over and over again right you know and i, I so um, no, it makes sense. It, every yeah. morning we're doing that same argument every single morning yeah, and yeah. I'm stressed. She's stressed. It's not good for any of us. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. It's funny. I'm thinking my friends that might be watching the show are like, oh, yeah, you're going to give up control. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> you know? Well, and the thing is that it's not again that we, we set we're set, we're like the guides in our family. We set limits, but our authority, we, we lose our natural authority 
when we get, get down the same level as a kid, we start uh, on a kid's level arguing back and forth. If we right. lose our, we have, we have natural authority in our families because we're older, we have more experience, we have the money, you know, we we can drive kids or not, you know, we, we have all kinds of ways of influence, but we lose our natural authority when, when we, when we got to lower ourselves basically and just argue with kids or fight with them. Because uh, there's more, there's more skillful ways to do it that, that, that don't rupture a relationship and don't make us feel powerless. Right. And actually, the more I think about it, the more I'm thinking, I have more control when I do the choice. Because if we're fighting, I have no control. I can't force it. We're, we're just going to keep fighting. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, that's, right? <laughs> completely. I mean, I, I, I realized, I, can't, I think I, I did my internship in, in psychology at the Children's Hospital in Boston. And I remember somebody, Barry Brazelton was a pediatrician there. He's, he was the most famous pediatrician in the world at the time. And I'd hear about these, these failure, to thrive, failure to thrive infants um, on his ward. And I think Barry Brazelton, you can be Hulk Hogan or you can be Barry Brazelton. You can't make an infant eat. You can't, you know, like that. They can't make them do it. And once I realized you really can't make kids do stuff, you know, if kids don't want to get into the, the car to go to grandma's and they're four years old, you pick them up and put them in the car, but they aren't getting in the car. You can't make them. Once I realized that, that it was, I, I felt like it was so liberating because the idea is if you can't make a kid do something, it couldn't be your responsibility to see that they turn out a certain way. Right. And our job, in my opinion, is to figure out, help them figure out who they want to be, what kind of life they want, and how to create the life that they want. Um, right. Yeah, and I think so. It's, it's not that, that, and I think we have a stronger sense of control when we give up doing things that make us feel helpless. Right. <laughs> and it's letting go of what we think is the perfect life for our children, you know? Because obviously, you know, I have a master's degree and my, you know, my JD and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so education is extremely important in my house. But if my kids decide to not go to college, I need to be okay with that. Well, right? it's a really, it's a, yeah. And I, I, I talked to a mother a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks ago, who said, I really, I'm so grateful for, for you. You're encouraging me to, to let my kid figure out who he wanted to be. Because he, he didn't, he, he didn't go the, the, the path I, I had envisioned for him. He didn't want to go to college, but he, he's in his mid thirties now. He's he's really happy with his life as a rock and roll musician. He does all that. He works for a lot of these nonprofits, uh, for these projects. And he makes enough money. He's got really good friends. He's got a really nice girlfriend. He's he's as happy as any kid I know, any young adult I know. And and I, if I would have fought with him all those years trying to make him into who I thought he should be. Um, be I, yeah, be miserable. And, and and I just some somebody said to me many many years ago. I don't even remember who it was. He said I, the thing I loved about raising my kids when they're adolescents is every day when they come home from school, you get to see who they're deciding to be. And I just you know, for, for me, I just um, I, I loved I love the idea that it really is their life. It's their life to kind of figure out. And I, I was struck when I used to do psychotherapy. How many people, are, I'd see a 40-year-old, how many 40-year-olds I saw, and they'd, I'd say, how can I help? And they'd say, I feel like I've spent the first 40 years of my life trying to live up to other people's expectations. Yeah. Now I'm trying to figure out what's important to me. So. Which makes sense. Yeah. I used to, you know, I, I, I've said often, like, why are older people so grumpy? 
And I'm like, because they can be. Right? Like, you don't have to answer to anybody. Right? And it's finally when you hit that age of retirement and, you know, you can be as grumpy as you want because who cares? What are you going to do? That's that's true. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Good point. It's so true. It got me thinking what you're just saying about transitions and transition plans. And that's where um, I know in IEPs often, that area is neglected in IEP so much in the school system. Uh, and it, like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't even high school kid, yeah, what I, are they going to be? Yeah. I, I don't even read this part of the, that, that part of the IEP. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll see kids who, you know, have severe language disorders and their academic skills, the first percentile and, and the transitions of, well, the plans to go to college. Well, you know, if, if you're academic skills, college is hard. And, and I think that, um, uh, or, or kids have no, they're going to be musicians and, and they have no backup plan and the school doesn't really help them un- inform them. Here's what you're really good at. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't pay much attention. Right. Well, <laughs> as, as, right, getting hired by the parents, they want me to yeah. make sure the yeah. IP's right. And, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. And, right. And get, you know, get the transition plan, but whether it's it's actually done or not is a whole nother thing. No, yeah, I, I I do see kids who, who with special needs who have very fairly thoughtful where, where, where the transition people really need to help think through that. But I've also seen a lot of kids where uh, they aren't worth reading. But yeah. right, no, oh no, usually they're not worth reading, and I rewrite them. <laughs> so, okay, good, good for you. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure. my special ed experience and my teaching experience. I re- rewrite IEPs all the time. It's just like. <laughs> Why did I let them draft it? If I had just drafted this in the first place. Because <laughs> um, I can take an evaluation and I know how to put it into an IEP the right way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's not knocking on teachers at all because teachers aren't taught how to write IEPs. Right, right. Nowhere in any my schooling was I taught how to write an IEP. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bless your heart, so yeah. It's, it's hard, but there are classes out there of how to write an IEP and stuff and it's, you know, Go and do it. Not saying the yeah. teachers, you know, they have enough on their plates, but yeah, yeah, it makes life easier. Well, yeah, if you're going to do it, it's good to know. It's good to know how to do it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm just thinking about my teachers' days. I much more prefer walking into an IEP meeting in which we're all on the same page. Yeah, it's good. We just want to talk through this issue or that issue, but for the most part, we're on the same page. Boom, an IEP meeting's done in a half an hour. Right. Whereas when it's not well written and the parents either themselves or hire an advocate or an attorney comes in. It's like, we have to rewrite it and we have to fight about it. We have to talk about it and just double the work. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah. it makes sense. This has been so amazing. This has been, <laughs> it's so funny because I have, I do these shows and I have people on and it, I always, you know, as a parent of two kids, um, I always learn stuff and take it home and, you know, like, <laughs> okay. I did another show. We got to do this. <laughs> and I learned so much. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of your wisdom with us. Completely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Stress-Free IEP with your host, Francis Schefter. Remember, you do not need to do it all alone. You can reach Francis through SchefterLaw.com, where prior episodes are also posted. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others through YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.